Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Cricket with an Accent. Uh, the T20 World Cup actually is underway. Uh, the main competition starts in a few days. So this is an opportunity. Uh, this podcast is going to explore uh, looking at some of the some of the major teams that are going to be part of the action and helping me unpack the depth and the analysis for these teams are a bunch of regulars who I've had the pleasure of hosting here. Gurkirat Singh Gill and Sanket Singhbal are joining me for this uh, show. Hopefully you enjoy the unpacking these guys do. Welcome to the show, guys. All right, so uh, we are ready yeah, to go. always a pleasure. The pleasure is all mine. <laughs> uh, so let's, uh, let's get into the meat of the action. Uh, IPL was played in these pitches. Someone like me who hasn't really followed the competition much. Uh, so I'll, I'll start with Gurkirat. So what do you expect of the surfaces? Uh, I've been reading it's going to be low-scoring World Cup. Spin is going to be in play. Rashid Khan has said that. But players say a lot of things. So what is your pre-tournament feel? How and, and what kind of matches, what kind of action is going to take place in the next three weeks? See, one thing is for sure that the that the toss is going to be a huge factor in, in the night games. Because as we saw towards the end of the IPL, uh, the matches were becoming a bit of a lottery where once you won the toss, you chose to bowl first. The, <clears throat> the dew would make sure that the surface would become much better for batting in the second half. Uh, especially, you know, on pitches like Sharjah where you never know what is going to be enough. And then even in Dubai, that was the case because uh, the... The, the slight tacky nature was was on display in the first 10 overs while, while batting first. But when you had to bowl, for, uh, bowl second, the, the pitch was becoming completely flat. And Abu Dhabi has been a, was, was actually a good pitch to bat on uh, both times. Uh, you know, once, once, they, once they started improving the pitches. So I think uh, toss is going to be crucial, which, is all, which it, I think is always is sometimes in T20 because the team batting second does have the advantage of pacing their innings much better than what the team batting first would have. But with, with conditions such as these, if, if the dew becomes a constant factor, then the toss would become a huge thing. All right, so that's an excellent starting point. So, Sanket, I'll bring you in for another warm-up question like I gave to Gurkirat, and then we'll dive into the teams. So, these venues, you know, the grounds are pretty small. Uh, does that change the equation for any team? If I'm looking at this, you know, small, you know, faint edges can go for fours pretty quickly. Uh, if the outfield is not that uh, slow. So do you think uh, that changes the equation in favor of any team or that's the equal uh, conditions for both and that shouldn't be a factor at all? Uh, the boundaries are small in Sharjah. The other two venues are actually like they have, they're among the biggest boundaries in world cricket. So it's actually going to be a challenge for teams like adapting from, you know, th- those those teams who are playing at Sharjah and as well as Abu Dhabi and Dubai where, you know, the ground dimensions are completely different. And obviously, it also depends on what pitch you're playing on. If you're playing on the central wicket, then, you know, if, if you're playing on one of the side wickets, then maybe you'll have one side of the boundary, which is, you know, shorter and one side should be longer. But generally, on the central wicket, uh, in, in Dubai and Abu Dhabi, both the boundaries are, are fairly long, at least by, you know, modern day T20 standards. Whereas Sharjah, as we all know, it's, it's one of the shortest boundaries. But that is sort of mitigated by the fact that it is it is right now, you know, one of the most difficult surfaces to play T20 cricket on. And we've seen that throughout the IPL. I don't think, you know, I think there were like two or three scores in excess of 150 in the entire tournament. And uh, even though sides were chasing were, you know, winning comfortably, but uh, we saw even in the, in the, in the second qualifier between, you know, KKR and, uh, and the Delhi Capitals, that they needed 11 to win from 25 balls or something. And they managed to conspire to take it to the last, last over. And India ended up needing six of two uh, because because the conditions were so difficult. And you know, once you once the bowler hits the right length on that surface, uh, it, it 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 becomes a completely different ball game altogether. So, uh, yeah, I think it's 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 obviously I think I think I think so. The kind of nature of the pitch sort of mitigates for the sh- shorter boundaries there. And as far as Dubai and Abu Dhabi is concerned, uh, as Kukita pointed out, the pitches 
they've been sort of mixed. I mean, I would not say that obviously compared to Sharjah, they've been better, but there have been a few low-scoring matches at those venues as well. But towards the latter half of the IPL, both the pitches, the pitches in both Dubai and Abu Dhabi were improving considerably. So if that trend continues, then we might see some good pitches in the World T20. But you never know, I think. If 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 they do if they do have some of the pitches that we saw in the first half of the you know the IPL then there could be uh, there there could be some low scoring games even at those two venues and and in Sharjah as far as Sharjah is concerned I think that's pretty much a write off I think it it would be foolish to expect I think any any games where you know scores are in excess of one fifty so yeah I think I think that's that's about it as far as pitch and ground dimensions are concerned. Yeah, that's good. That sets the scene up for. Uh, the first big team. Uh, let's uh, talk about India because the listenership is going to come hugely from India, and uh, it's not like we won't give equal weightage to other teams. But I think, uh, Gurkirat, let's talk about uh, the Indian team composition. You know, a lot has happened, a lot's been said. You know, and this is like an old narrative, an old view on Twitter and every place else that Rohit and Virat bat the similar way. But it looks like the batting order seems pretty set. Uh, what is going to be your playing eleven, and how do you fancy this Indian batting order? Is it uh, is it about the right combinations to go all the way, or uh, you think uh, we have uh, or India has actually the manpower? No matter what they put out, is going to be a formidable unit. No, I, I think on on flat surfaces while batting first, India are susceptible to a loss because with Hardik not bowling, you only have five bowlers going in, and uh, one of those bowl- bowlers is going to be Jadeja. And the third pacer is going to be someone like Shardul Dan, you know, or pace try of Bhuvi Shami and uh, Bumrah because Shardul offers that batting depth. So the the bowling is a little susceptible, especially while while batting first, because also you know when, when batting first, sometimes Rohit and Virat, uh, like you just pointed out earlier, there's there's an intent issue with them, and with Virat batting outside the power play, as it was evident in uh, in the second le- second leg of the IPL. Has been an issue. Uh, there were three innings where outside the power play he was going at under 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 run a ball, and uh, two uh, two of those were in uh, were in uh, I think or oh, no actually three of them were in Sharjah, and then there was an innings where he just went at run a ball which was in Dubai. <clears throat> so batting against spin for someone like a Kohli is an issue. Uh, if they get his entry point wrong, that could be that could be that could be something that can get them stuck. In one of the knockouts, ga- knockout games. So batting, I still feel that on paper is covered, but they they need to be very flexible with the entry points. I suppose that if Virat, uh, you know, if, if if the openers give a good start and one of them gets out after the fifth over or say in the sixth over, I think they should idly hold back Virat and you know try and send him around the thirteenth over so that he can attack pace at the end. Because if va- Virat is batting between the seven to the fifteen over mark. Over there, it can be an issue for uh, for the team because at this point of time, he's 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 really really poor against spin. Uh, he's he's losing his wicket to someone like a Liam Livingstone even while trying to attack him, uh, and that that that's a huge thing. That's a huge matter of concern for any Indian fan. So batting first, this Indian team is susceptible. Uh, while chasing more or less, they you know uh, even on a good surface, even if they have to chase 190 200, uh, it is possible that they can do uh, that. They can do that. A fair point. So, Sanket, uh, same question to you, but in a slightly, uh, you know, different vein. So, in 2019, 50-over World Cup, Indian number four, you know, there was a big question. So, and we all know how that played out. When Kohli and Sharma didn't play well in that semi-final against New Zealand, that remains a very popular topic. So, do you think, despite all the conversations and what Gurkira described, uh, is this batting lineup settled or you expect India to field you know, different players at number four or even, you know, change their lineup depending on who they're playing, if everyone's healthy? Uh, you know, I think I think you can never predict what the Indian team management will do because, and I remember after the series win against England in earlier this year, Virat Kohli was, had opened the batting in the last two T20Is and he said that he, he plans to open the batting in T20 cricket and so forth and, and that's, why, that's what he's going to do in the IPL as well, which he did, but uh, and KL Rahul was supposed to be dropped from the side, but then KL Rahul had a went and had a good IPL, scored runs. His strike rate was obviously a bit of an issue, but you know uh, that was you know because of the kind of role that he was playing with uh, his side at Punjab. But 
he did have a good IPL in terms of runs, scored a lot more runs than and Rohit Sharma and Virat Kohli, and he, he automatically like became first choice again. And Virat Kohli has, even though he said that he wanted to open the innings, and his his current style of play, as Kirat pointed out, desperately needs that power play cushion at the start because that is the phase of the innings where he actually can start off quick because he slows down considerably in that seven to twelve uh, over period in particular. So that that would have been ideal for Virat Kohli, but because uh, KL Rahul is now back in form. Uh, they, they're pretty much, you know, back to the original lineup where you have got KL Rahul and Roy Sharma opening, and Virat Kohli will probably bat number three. Uh, but uh, so, so I think right now, I think that seems to be the combination. I think whether they will be flexible enough to, you know, change their you know, personnel in terms of the kind of opposition that they face. Again, I'm not, not really sure. They've got options in the squad in, in the form of Ishan Kishan who can bat pretty much, I think, anywhere in the top four, although I think he's best suited as an opener. But you've got that option of having a left-hander in the middle order who can float around and who can hit spin pretty well. But uh, I, th- I, think, I think the real... Uh, dilemma for them is not so much with regards to the ch- personnel changes but I think you know how they're going to go about you know organizing the batting order within the personnel selected and I think that that is what Kurkirat pointed out perfectly that they've got to get the entry points right for the particular batters like if, if they get off the good start then Virat Kohli should not be coming in at number three uh, because he will slow you down against spin and that that will now that could just hold the momentum in the innings. Like even even when he was opening the batting himself and was actually you know off to a good start, you know scoring thirty of twenty. Even then, he still managed to slow down against spin. So starting off against spin is going to be even more difficult for him. Uh, so he has to you know if he has to come in either in the power play if you lose an early wicket, or you know he should be coming out to bat in the you know the, around the twelfth or the thirteenth overs so that he can just get a few overs to get his get his eye in and then launch at the depth because he still remains India's best hitter uh, against genuine quality fast bowling in the depth overs. So. Uh, I mean, I don't think Virat Kohli will demote himself to five or six, but maybe uh, if he, if they get a good start, then he could probably move down to number four and send Surya Kumar Yadav at three, uh, who who I believe is India's probably best player of spin bowling, and he would be ideal to take on spinners in that seven to twelve over phase. So I think T Twenty cricket, I think it's all about matchups now, and you know, you 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 send the batsmen who you think are most likely to you know, exploit a particular matchup in that in that particular phase. So the concept of having a settled batting order, I think that is, I think that those days are long gone. So I think you can expect India and I think almost every team in the in the tournament to be flexible with regards to the betting orders that they employ uh, to tackle the conditions and, and the opponents. Uh, as far as whether they'll make any changes in personnel, I think I think that depends on, you know, how, how, how the, you know, the incumbents perform and how, you know, uh, the results will obviously play a part as well, and you generally tend to chop and change more when you're losing. So, but as far as I think personal concern, I think they're pretty set. But uh, they, they've got to get that matchups right, I think, and that's that's going to be the challenge for the Indian team management. Whether Virat Kohli, you know, is is humble enough to, you know, realize that. He he he's perhaps not the best option at number three anymore, or a position where he's is dominated for you know a number of years. He uh, one of the greatest batsmen in the history of the, you know, the world T20s. But uh, this this version of Virat Kohli at number three is probably the worst possible slot for him because he, he'll be coming out to bat, you know, after the power play when the spinners are in employment. So, you know, if he's not going to open the innings, I think it's probably better that he comes in lower down the order, uh, where uh, in more of a finisher finisher kind of a role. I think so. I'll stay with you. There's an excellent point you made. Like gone are the days, you know, where. Uh... Settle order is the way to go. This is an old school notion, and what you just said looks like most most teams have modernized and realized you have to be flexible. And uh, you also said, you know, the humility of Virat Kohli. You know, because most champions, you know, they back themselves up. It's not only him. Even an aging lion, you know, like he probably still backs himself up, even the numbers show something else. So, what will be an ideal Indian eleven for you, say, for the group phase? You know. Uh, depending on surfaces, you know, who, who would be an ideal 11? And I'll say, feel the same question to Gurkirat after this with a slight different twist. Yeah, so I think if, if assuming that they're going to play, in, uh, I mean, I think I think the batting order is pretty much, you know, the batting lineup rather is pretty much set and the batting order will obviously be decided depending on the matchups as I alluded to earlier. So, uh, I'll go with, you know, KL Rahul and Rohit Sharma at the top of the order. There is a school of thought that, 
you know, there might be a case for even dropping Rohit Sharma on on current form and opening with Ashan Kishan. But Rohit Sharma found some form today against Australia in the warm-up match and he looked pretty good. So I think that is, you know, I don't think that was going to happen anyways. But now I think you can completely put that to bed. So it will be KL Rahul and Rohit Sharma. I think that is pretty clear. And then I think, you know, as I said, Surya Kumar Yadav with three. If they get off to a good start, if they lose early within the first couple of hours, then maybe you send Virat Kohli in. But otherwise, I think if, if the spinners are in operation, or even if you lose a wicket towards the end of the power play and you know that the spinners are going to be in operation soon, then I think it would be better for India to send Surya Kumar Yadav uh, than Virat Kohli at, at number four. Uh, or Rishabh Pant, again, if, 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 if the spinners are in operation and you lose a wicket in around the eighth or ninth over, I would, I would send Rishabh Pant. But if it's around the you know, the 12th or the 13th over, then you can probably send Kohli uh, so that he can get his eye in before the death overs. So that would be the four and five, and then six, seven, Hardik Pandya, Vendra Jadeja. And uh, then then the bowling attack, I think that depends on the con- conditions that are on offer. India are not playing any matches in Sharjah, so there might be, you know, a case for playing three seamers at Sharjah. I think it would have been an absolute no-brainer that you have to play two spinners. But again, as I said, even Abu Dhabi and Dubai are not immune from producing slow, low-turning pitches like the... I think the first, uh, you know, the, the one of the one of the groups in the first round is is playing in in Abu Dhabi. Uh, that's the Sri Lanka group, and the matches the other day were were quite low scoring. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, you you could get slow pitches there as well. So, uh, again, I think it depends on the conditions, but. Uh, I think I think Varun Chakravarti is clearly should be India's number one spinner, and then the choice is probably between you know a second spinner, which I think will probably should be Ravi Chandran Ashwin because Rahul Chahar has been quite disappointing, uh, and Ashwin even though he did not have the greatest of IPL, has bowled quite well in the warm matches so far, and obviously has the experience as well in in big tournaments. So you'd probably back that ahead of Rahul Chahar if you're playing a second spinner, but. I don't think Ashwin is going to have to play as, a, as the sole spinner. It, that has to be Varun Chakravarti because Ashwin is, is not a genuine wicket-taker in T20 cricket, even though he's, he's reasonably economical. So I think against left-hander heavy sides, Ashwin becomes an absolute necessity, which they w- might encounter in the in the knockout stages, not so much in the group stages, uh, except maybe Bangladesh, if they do qualify into India's group. You know, initially what we were told at the start of the tournament is that Bangladesh will probably... You know the 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 Bangladesh will qualify into India's group as long as they you know win there as as long as they manage to get get it out of their group. But uh, now now they seem to have changed the qualification process, and it's going to be that the team that actually tops the uh, group stages will will qualify. Uh, so if Bangladesh are currently second because they lost to Scotland, Scotland beat Oman, then Bang Scotland could be the team that actually qualifies into India's group. So. Uh, that could again, if 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 India if India played Bangladesh, then I think Ashwin would have definitely played that match. But now that they're playing Scotland, uh, you know. But again, I think you know, even though Scotland have more right-handers as compared to Bangladesh, you wouldn't really mind Ashwin both playing against them because they're not really someone who's going to take you down. Uh, Pakistan again, a very right-hander heavy side, so it will be interesting to see whether they do go in with Ashwin against them. So I think that, that, that that's 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 probably the dilemma for them because Rahul Chahar has been quite disappointing. Uh, he, he, he otherwise he would have been your option to play against right-hander heavy side. So and if they don't trust Ashwin to play against right-hander heavy opposition, then maybe they might go in with third seamer, uh, especially if the conditions dictate dictate so things. So that will probably be Shardul Thakur uh, because of his batting ability. And then, you know, the two seamers, I think, will have to be Bhuneshwar, uh, sorry, uh, Jaspreet Umar and Mohammed Shami. I think Bhuneshwar Kumar pulled well today, but otherwise he's been, you know, quite disappointing. He was, uh, he's, he's comfortably, uh, you know, the weakest of the three in the IPL as well. So I think Mohammed Shami, even though he's not, his T20I record is not that great, but purely on recent form and how he pulled in, in the UAE, uh, in the IPL, I think he has to get the nod ahead of Bhuneshwar Kumar as of now. So yeah, I think that's 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 probably the eleven that I think they will go in with, and yeah, I, I think I mean that's not something that I would completely disapprove of. So yeah. Okay, so I think uh, some uh, I think a lot of food for thought. So Gurkirat, you can come in and uh, you can give your ideal eleven in this scenario, and also my caveat question is, you know, what Sanket said, you know, gone are the days when teams, you know, uh, stick to you know old school notions and. Uh, Basically, the game has fast modernized and you have to be flexible. So that being said, there is the repetition cloud that always hangs over the Indian team selection. You know, So we've already ad- addressed you know, Rohit and Kohli playing together. So also uh, unpack the Hardik Pandya situation. 
you know, he was supposed to be, and he's still a pretty talented guy, but without him bowling, uh, him not bowling, you know, in this uh, 11, is he still an automatic choice uh, to be the sixth best batsman in the team? Uh, how do you see that situation? For starters, he's he's going to be the number six without a doubt because you have not had anyone else bat at that position and do successfully or maybe even do reasonably. So, uh, if if Hardik's not bowling, it is what it is. He will be number six with number seven being Jadeja. But I think if if he struggles in the two or three games, then there could be some panic, and you could see him being dropped all all together uh, with the. Uh, you know, both uh, with with Kishan also coming in. However, what I'm not sure of is that uh, I don't think Kishan will necessarily do better than Hardik at number six because uh, against hard lengths, Kishan's game uh, is a little bit of a uh, is, is is slightly susceptible. What I do think is like Sanket mentioned initially that there's a case for someone like Rohit to be left out, but uh, with but. In the Indian cricket scenario and with the Indian team and with what has been, uh, you know, being talked about outside with Rohit being the vice captain, I, I don't see that happening. I, I see that both both Rohit and Virat will play come what come what happens, uh, even if they're uh, in bad form. And that is that is the biggest concern for me that if Rohit Sharma continues to open, uh, does he, you know, bat with a better intent than what he did today and has been doing for MI over the last four or five seasons. Because if he doesn't, then a lot of heavy lifting will have to be done by KL Rahul and then the middle order, which is to follow in terms of Surya Kumar Yadav, Rishabh Pant and Hardik Pandya and to some extent even Ravindra Jadeja. So, so for India, this is a concern. And uh, like I mentioned, uh, like I mentioned, I think when when I uh, when India take on Pakistan in the first game. The probable lineup is going to be Rohit, Rahul, Virat, uh, Surya Kumar Yadav, Pant, Hardik, Jadeja, uh, then one of the spinners. Uh, now, I don't see India playing Varun Chakrabarti straight away. I think they'd like to, you know, keep the mystery as it is. Uh, then, you know, at number eight, they will have Shardul. One of the spinners would ideally be uh, Chahar or, uh, or Ashwin. I think it might be Ashwin given he bowled well in the last game and did decently today as well. Uh, although I would have liked Ashwin to bowl a lot more to Maxwell than you know just that one over earlier and then the second over later on, and then uh, Shami and uh, and Bumrah. I certainly think that someone like Bhumeshwar Kumar, uh, you know, is is struggling with form and probably even fitness because he's not bowling uh, upwards of 135 quite frequently. So this is how I see the first uh, the first playing eleven uh, versus the game against Pakistan on 24. Okay, great. So one more question to you, Gurkiraj on India. Uh, with, with the IPL and, you know, then the series preceding there with England, in, Indian cricket cricketers have played a lot of cricket, probably along with England, the most cricket during the last 20 months of the pandemic. So do they come to this World Cup with an advantage of playing the IPL and, you know, uh, more used to the conditions or you, you think they have been overplayed? There's no way to know this now, but what is your take on this? You know, are they a settled unit going into this World Cup and can we tag them as favourites if you feel comfortable doing that? I don't think it's an ideal position for India because uh, even if you 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 want to be playing cricket, but with the amount of cricket that India have been playing, a breakdowns always around the corner. I think they might still be favourites because of how the other teams are shaping up. Uh, you look at England; they are missing Jofra and they are missing Ben Stokes, uh, so th- that's a huge mess with Morgan out of form. Uh, West Indies again. Uh, it, it, it's a team which which actually does a lot better, uh, you know, on pitches like Sharjah and you know especially how they played versus South Africa at home and them losing that series with Gale out of form. Uh, you, you'd say then again they, they have a few issues which which could land them in trouble. Uh, similarly with with New Zealand and Australia and other teams. So India might be the favourites to win because probably no other team. Uh, looks as solid as what they do. And even India is not 100% solid. So they might just be favourites, you know, because they are probably the more perfect team amongst a a lot of imperfect teams. I'd say that. It's like the the Hindi Hindi saying, they might be that this time. Okay. So Sanket, you and I have talked about this, you know, long before we had this podcast uh, for this episode. 
and you said it was India, you know, given the conditions. That was before the IPL. Do you still think uh, India is uh, the hands-down favorite according to you for this uh, competition? 100%, I think, without a shadow of a doubt. And I think the IPL is, is just like... You know, I think probably confirm this even more. I, I kind of I kind of disagree with Gurkirat that it is an Andome Kana Raja situation or whatever because I I do think India actually have a genuinely good side because uh, I think I think the only concern for them would be the two uh, would be the two uh, senior players at the top of the order. You know, their form has not been great, uh, Rohit Sharma and Virat Kohli. But other than that, I think I think they've the side looks, I think. They've got all bases covered. They've got, you know, an aggressive opener and Gail Rahul who plays obviously a lot differently for India than he does for his franchise in the IPL. They've got a brilliant, brilliant player of spin bowling in Surya Kumar Yadav, who's also, you know, pretty good against pace, who, who is a very dynamic batsman in the middle order, which they've lacked in the previous World T20s that they played, uh, or even in the bilaterals, you know, in recent times where they often used to, you know, have the likes of Shreya Sayer at uh, four. I think Surya Kumar Yadav is a considerable up- upgrade. Then they've got Rishabh Pant, who's again one the one of the best batsmen around in the world in T20 cricket. It might not have, again like Kale Rahul is probably bats a little bit differently for his franchise in the IPL, but I think I would expect him to, you know, be at his aggressive best for India. And then I think Hardik Pandya's form is probably a little bit of a concern for India. And Tereja has been in pretty good batting form this year, so you know, so you've got I think most bases covered. I think no no side is ever going to have like all 11 players in form. But I think the real strength for India is their bowling attack. And I think that completely like, you know, sets them apart from any other side in the world. We've got Varun Chakravarti, who was, in my opinion, the best bowler in the IPL this year. And um, as Kurkirat pointed out, this is a mystery spinner. So, you know, no international side has ever faced him in the, have ever faced him before. And despite all the footage that you get these days, I think it's, it's still not quite the same as facing him in actual you know, facing in an actual match. So that's going to be a big challenge for any any team that comes uh, across him, especially on these pitches where, you know, the pitches are bad enough anyways. And then you come across someone who's not only a mystery bowler, but who actually bowls very quick through the air and doesn't really give you a lot of time to, you know, adjust off the surface. So if you're not reading him through the air, you, you, you're, you're pretty much gone because... You, he doesn't bowl slow enough for you to, you know, read him off the surface and then then adapt later. That that would probably make it impossible for a batsman to actually hit him. So, yeah, I think I think, uh, and then they obviously got the best, you know, best bowler I think in the world by far in in just pre Pumra, and uh, and yeah, I mean, Mohammad Shami is again a much improved T20 bowler as I already alluded to, and uh, the second spinner as well. I think you know Ashwin might not be might not have been at his best in the this this IPL, but he's still bowler of immense pedigree and in conditions that that should suit him. Rahul Chahar again has not been in the greatest of form, but I would, I'd still take him over a lot of you know second spinners or third spinners. If he's if he's a third choice spinner, then I think you're doing pretty well because I, I would suggest that he would walk into most sides as a second or third spinner. So that I think I think I think on these pitches, I think the bowling attack becomes I think. Uh, of pri- primary importance because you, you you will be you know you if you're bowling first then you obviously need to restrict sides to you know low totals because you're not going to get 200 play 200 plays 210 type, type games over here it's going to be 150 160 games so you need a top class bowling attack to you know either restrict the opposition when you're bowling first or to defend these lowest totals so that is what india have got and they've got a batting lineup which has got pedigree they've got you know they've got this test match class in in, in it and they've got the big hitters. They've got the dynamic players as well. So I think they've got the right mix of players. I think it's more about you know finding the right roles for them. Like I pointed out, if if they send Virat Kohli at three, and he 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 he's the one who's facing the majority of the overs against spin, then yes, they may struggle. But purely in terms of personnel, they have enough players uh, out there who can easily compensate for the shortcomings of a Virat Kohli or a Rohit Sharma as well. So. Uh, I, I, I personally don't see, you know, a lot of weaknesses in their side, to be very honest. I can understand why Gurkirat, as a fan of the Indian cricket team, is probably a little bit sceptical. But in a, from an opposition point of view, I think they are a side that I can guarantee you every every other side in the tournament would be, you know, I think literally scared of and would want to avoid at all costs. I think, I think they are the favourites for this tournament by a long, long distance. Okay, so we have India as favourites, uh, according to Sanket. A huge favourite, according to Gurkirat. Not so big favorite, but the ideal favorite given, you know, they just are, you know, maybe peaking at the right time or played the right amount of cricket. 
just a little ahead of others. So for me, it's England as a second team. If uh, I'll bring them in the conversation. So Gurkira, let me start with you. You mentioned the absence of Stokes and Jofra. Uh, how does that depth get altered with those two guys missing, especially if they measured against India, who according to me are the two most talented teams in this format. And but I could be wrong. My questions are just there. But how do you see England, this England unit, before we start unpacking them? See, uh, you know, in Jofra, you have an all-face bowler, which uh, England, I think, only have one in Markwood now. So, there's one 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 major option gone away. And Jofra is not England's best T20 bowler. He's probably the top three T20 bo- bowlers in the world right now. In Stokes, you not only get a bowling option in top five, which, are not a, which not a lot of teams anyway have, but you also get someone who you know can be used to open. And can do decently against uh, against average bowling or you know mediocre bowling in the middle order and can actually change the momentum. He's he's not T20 is probably his weakest format as a batter, but he's still better than what a lot of teams have. So that takes the balance out of the equation completely. What it does is that at number seven, England are forced to play a Chris Wokes or probably a Tom Curran, and I I feel both of them are probably not fit. To be number seven at this moment, probably number eight. And uh, again, uh, Vokes is has value with the ball in the power play, but not outside the power play that much. And with uh, 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 with Tom Curran, you're never really sure as to what you're going to get with the ball. And I, I'm being very uh, very considerate here when I say that that you're never really sure with Tom Curran with the ball. Uh, you know how you'll get it because mostly he, he relies on the slower ball too much, and batsmen can line up line him up easily. They've also had Sam Curran go missing. So, uh, that leaves them with only two uh, left-handers, if I'm not wrong. One, No, actually three. Uh, with with Moin Ali, uh, Milan and, uh, and Morgan. Now, with Morgan not being informed, that's another issue. And I genuinely feel that instead of someone like Milan, they could have probably had someone like Root in the batting lineup because he would have not only given them overs on, on slow, slowish wickets, but I I feel on on slow wickets on pitches which offer a little bit of more turn he's he's the much better batsman than than David Milan and it's not that he he can't pace his innings he's you we saw that in the last last T20 World Cup on, on a very flat pitch in one kid when he played that 80 odd so I just think that on these pitches uh, the weaknesses of David Milan would be highlighted a lot more than uh, than what they would be on any other surface. And uh, the series against India earlier this year was another reflection of that. So, uh, England are still a very good side considering you have Bairstow, you've you've Butler, then you have uh, Moin Ali, then you have Wood. And uh, Livingstone has been in good form. Sam Billings also scored, uh, finished off the innings quite well uh, where he scored 27 of 17. But it's still not the same side uh, which it would have been with someone like uh, Jofra in the mix along with, uh, along with Stokes. So, uh, they might still reach the semis, but I do feel uh, that that they might serve. Also, they have only uh, uh, they have only Adil Rashid as a specialist winner. Probably they could have taken someone like a Matt Parkinson, and you know used him on pitches which were which were slow and low. But now that he's not there, uh, you you can't complain much. I I don't think even Leanne Dawson is there, so they might be once in a shot in 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 terms of their squad construction for the for the for the tournament. All right, Sanke, so you can come in now and, uh, you know, take over from what Gurkira said, and I'll just throw in a different question. When you look at this England side, of course, the two big absentees are Stokes and Jofra, but do you think some of the key players like Butler and uh, Bairstow, who skipped the second leg of the conclusion of this IPL, you think that was a smart move, so they just wanted to come fresh for the World Cup? Uh, how do you rate this unit overall? See, I think whether whether skipping the IPL was a smart move or not, I think that, and I think that depends entirely on I think I think that those decisions were taken for the purposes of their mental health because you know players have been in you know in bubbles right throughout the year and England in particular have had a very unforgiving schedule in 2021. So I think I think in that I think in that regard I think it was I think made total sense for them to skip this skip the IPL because anyways uh, they they've been playing nonstop and they've also got an Ashes tour coming up where again they'll be you know under very strict quarantine. Uh, in Australia as well, so I think I think from that point of view, absolutely correct. But yeah, I mean, obviously, I think 
uh, if, you, if you're talking purely, you know, in terms of preparation for the World T20, then I think uh, it would have been it would have been ideal if if they if they'd gotten the opportunity to play in play in the IPL in a high very high level of T20 cricket uh, in conditions where the World Cup will be held. So I think in that sense, I think you could say an opportunity missed, but obviously the decision was taken for completely understandable reasons, and I would say the right one. Uh, and yeah, I think I think that is that is probably why you know, uh, you know I, I said you know in some of the spaces that we did in Twitter as well that you know you just don't know what kind of form some of these players are coming in, but now they played a couple of warm up matches and the key players seem to have you know seem seem to be in good form. George Butler has got got, got runs today. Uh, uh, you know Johnny Pesto's got runs in in both the games and. Uh, uh, you know, Sam Billings got some runs today. Liam Livingstone, who endured a pretty difficult time in the IPL, got got a pretty good cameo against India the other day. So I think you know you, they've got some players who are running off into form. Uh, obviously, the concern I think is the big concern is the captain, and he was even asked a question yesterday by I think the BBC whether yeah, he, he was willing to drop himself if if, if its form does not improve, and he, and he said that he's not ruling out that possibility, and if he would not come in the way of England winning the World T20. So if if, if he thinks that the England side would be better off without him, then he would not hesitate to make that call. So I think that that's also quite telling of the kind of rut that he is in, that the captain is openly admitting that there is a possibility that he could get dropped, uh, you know, midway through the tournament, uh, you know. So I think uh, obviously that that is, that is a concern for them. Kevin Milan, as Gurkirath has pointed out, has been doing well, pretty well for them over a number of years now in T20 internationals, but his form this year, right from the start of that India series, has not been great. And he, he he's not he's not a he's not a player who's like suited to these conditions. I think uh, a lot of the criticism of David Milan has been because that he's an anchor style batsman who takes time to get in and then explodes. I don't think that is necessarily a problem. I do think there is a room for one anchor, you know, in, partic- in, in T20 cricket in general, but particularly more so on pitches like these, where you know that the pass score is going to be 150, 160. I think the problem with David Milan is not so much that he's an anchor, but I think the problem is that I don't think he's a particularly good anchor on these pitches. I think if the World T20 was in Australia, which is where the tournament was originally going to be held last year, had 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 the pandemic not taken place and the cricketing world had just gone as per the normal schedule, then I think Tavin Milan would have been a very good option. That is exactly what England were preparing for. So for firstly, the tournament in Australia got postponed and then the tournament got shifted from India where you would normally expect to have good batting wickets to the UAE where you've got only three venues and you're going to be playing on tired pitches. So that is, I think, thrown a spanner in the works for England as well with regards to the preparation. They were, you know, building a team for completely different conditions. And now they have, uh, you know, they, 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 they're playing in conditions where, which obviously don't suit their style of play and which don't suit some of the players that they've, they've got. And David Milan is definitely one of them. And again, which is why, again, I'm, I'm a little bit baffled by the decision not to include a second spinner in the squad. That would have been understandable in other conditions. But here, I think that again shows a little bit of inflexibility from the England team management with regards to changing their plan based on the conditions that were on offer. Maybe they, they were not expecting the pitches to be so spin-friendly, but uh, then Sam Curran got injured and you had an opportunity to replace him. Uh, and, and they chose to replace him with his brother as a like-for-like replacement, then bring in extra spin run, despite seeing what the pitches had done in the IPL and, and, and until that point. So that is, I think, a really baffling decision not to pick a second spinner, even when you have the opportunity to, re- to replace someone with injury. Uh, so th- th- they're pretty much just stuck to their strengths and said that we'll just play our way irrespective of the conditions. So I think I think so I think that is something that they'll probably have to deal with, and they've made their bet. So you know they have to lie in it. So I think David Milan is is a concern for them. Owen Morgan is obviously a concern. Uh, Moin Ali has been you know pretty decent in the IPL this year, but again his success in the IPL has come uh, in the. Uh, in, in batting in the top three for Chennai Super Kings. So, so for England, he's more likely to be playing a f- finisher's role at number six or seven, which is not really his cup of tea. He's not someone who's, who can slog, you know, 145k at the death. So again, that is something that if, 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 they, if they were to be, if they were willing to be, if, if they're willing to drop David Milan, then I think there is a room for Moin Ali possibly to bat at number three in his place. And and then you have Perestro at four, uh, Livingstone at five, and then you know if Morgan drops himself, then Billings probably at five, and then Livingstone at six. Uh, 
so i think that that would be my batting order for england if i were to pick the team but as things stand if and if they do stick with the incumbency and go in with the guys who've been playing then you know they've got malan at 3 they've got morgan either at 5 or 6 and then they probably will be having moin at 7 who's out of position so that's three batsmen in the side who are either out of form or out of position so that's that's definitely a big concern for england they'll probably need the in the, the rest of the batsmen uh, especially josh 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 butler the top the order jason roy who's, who's looked in decent touch in the ipl and then johnny best i think these three guys will have to do a lot of heavy lifting for them uh, which is something that you don't normally associate with england they generally have a very good batting depth and you expect that and they play with complete freedom and if one guy fails then fails and the other guy will take over but i don't think that's the case this tournament and i think they probably relied more on a few select individuals than they would have been in the past under normal circumstances right, so i think a lot of ground covered there so gurkir let me bring you in for a narrative question you know because virat kohli we use that example that like hasn't won an icc trophy in in, a, in the indian circle that's been a big big topic and this is his last chance at least to win a t20 trophy similarly you know like what sanket said you know there hasn't been a t20 cricket world cup for 5 years now due to different due to known reasons so if you look at this england unit you know they kind of are one of the trailblazers you know how they started you know their batting approach and they had all these hitters the deep hitters who can the team that could bat very deep so if they don't win this world cup and of course there's one more coming very soon but uh, you think uh, there's there's a narrative that's you know this era of uh, morgan butler bairsto and all these other guys you know uh, stokes jofra you think if they don't win a world cup you think that's going to be like one of the big uh, underachieving sides given you know the kind of talent they had i'm talking about t20 world cup uh, if they, if they miss out on this opportunity how do you look at this group and secondly will this group have major changes when we see them in another world cup um i'm 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 not sure i'm not sure uh, i think they'll they'll have uh, they, they they'll have another opportunity next year too and i i don't think even if they don't win that you know there would be a there would be a huge uh, furore over it because the 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 narrative plays a, a a lot more part i think uh, you know uh, in the subcontinent especially when the team has not done well uh, but on the contrary if england do manage to win it then we can be sure that the that the english media will 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 probably call it the best white ball side ever which which still may not be true because there's australia between 99 to 2007 so uh, i i think there will not be that much pressure for england to you know win just because you know there's leg there's legacy and everything in intact in intact uh, i i think they they'll, they'll still look to do as well as 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 possible but it it wouldn't be the same pressure as what someone like a virat kohli has in terms of delivering a trophy because like you said uh, morgan has already delivered one trophy and uh, which was in 2019 it might have come with an asterisk but it still counts as a as a trophy hi right, so that was england i think uh, we covered quite a ground there and then let me bring in sanket's favorite team here and you know uh, australia uh, even i have started you know believe i know some, some sometimes sanket sounds like a doomsday prophet when it comes to australian cricket fortune but really when i look at them they don't look like a side that can contend with a good indian or english side or even a west indian side but again that's how i see it sanket so floor is yours uh, is this the ideal squad you know you and i talked about it or are there some missing pieces for them to challenge or to even contend with the big boys uh, unpack uh, the australian uh, weaknesses or strengths of the squad for us yeah so i think i'll just start start this off with a tweet of mine which i quite like and you know so i was asked the other day you know and what are what are australia's chances of holding the trophy and my my response to this was that the chances australia's chances of holding the trophy are about as much as to the extent that if there is an opening ceremony and a pre tournament photo shoots in which all the captains get to you know hold the trophy in their hands that is about as far as australia are going to go as far as holding the trophy is concerned because they're not going to win the tournament so yeah i mean uh, as far as australia's squad being concerned squad is concerned i think i mean where do i start uh, i mean just just to you know sum it up i think it's obviously it's not good enough and uh, it's 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 they're definitely not one of the top 4 or top 5 or i would say even top 6 contenders for the tournament so uh, yeah, i mean what could have been done differently again i think i think i think i think 
australia again are in probably in the same boat as england but not i mean they are like a poor man's england in that in this regard because uh, the 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 tournament being shifted from australia to the you know to I mean the tournament in australia being postponed from 2020 for which they were actually preparing in home conditions in in the preceding one year uh, and then the tournament being cancelled and then having to suddenly change all those strategies and adapt to a subcontinental world cup and that too in the uae which again as i said is is quite different to you know a normal indian world cup that has obviously not been you know of particularly great help to australian cricket because you know i i saw a stat on crickwiz uh, you know in in the podcast that they did while previewing us previewing australia's fortunes that among the top um, uh, top 10 you know basically the test playing nations uh, you know australia have the third lowest strike rate against spin bowling uh, in t20 internationals since i think 2018 uh, only sri lanka and bangladesh are lower and that might be because they play their home matches you know in 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 sri lanka and bangladesh which generally pitches are very spin friendly and you know particularly bangladesh which is a complete bunsen and you know 120 is often a par score there uh, so uh, that that and those are the only teams that are actually scoring slower than australia against spin bowling so when you're playing a world t20 in the subcontinent where you know that spin bowling is going to play a prominent part obviously you cannot be contenders with this sort of numbers uh, and again i think another thing that has gone against australia probably is that you know david warner was you know arguably the best t20 batsman in the world from 2016 till 2019 uh, but his his form is just you know completely fallen off a cliff in the last last couple of years more so this year than last year last year he had a quite a slow start to the ipl but still managed to score you know over 500 runs and was i think the third leading run scorer in the tournament even though he was not at his usual self he was not quite the usual destructive david warner but he was still scoring runs uh, this time around is you know we all know what happened you know he got dropped from the franchise which he pretty much a single handedly built with his bare hands uh, got dropped uh, you know quite unceremoniously got sacked from captaincy and then was dropped from the side midway through the tournament and has been in terrible form has not scored any runs in these warm up matches either and you know he also had a pretty serious groin injury last summer uh, suffered during the odi against india which is probably still you know limiting his batting ability and his running between the wickets a little bit so uh, you know so that is again another thing like if if the world t20 was in 2020 uh in australia then you would have probably seen a very different david warner to the one you're seeing now and david warner is easily australia's best batsman in t20 cricket in general not so much in current form so again that is another thing that that has hurt australia uh the, the bowling attack is, is still decent but i mean again they they again would have been more potent in australia than you know in the uae but again these these are all excuses and ultimately you know anyways we would have had to play a world t20 in the subcontinent any anyways uh, even if the even if the tournament had gone to gone ahead in australia last year anyways there would have been a world t20 in india this year so that is not an excuse ultimately i think that fault lies with the team management they've not shown enough foresight in bringing young players in uh, i i said this right you know you know when they started prioritizing the t20 format after the 2019 ashes and the world cup that uh, and then they 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 picked steve smith at number 3 and they had ashton agar at number 7 and i said even though you're winning at the time we won you know 3-0 against sri lanka and then we won 2-0 against pakistan uh, again both teams played pretty ordinary cricket and then we won 2-1 in south africa just before the pandemic hit so we were getting the results at that time but even then i i was one of the few who said that this is not a sustainable approach to playing t20 cricket because we had ashton agar at number 7 who's probably batting batting at least two positions higher than he should be uh, we did not have a settled middle order and the success was primarily on the basis of you know the bowling de- bowling department and then david warner and aaron finch scoring runs with steve smith chipping in in every now and then uh, so you know the, the success was basically built on one or two players and once those players lost form and the middle order started becoming exposed which is which it has been over the last uh, you know 18 months or so there australia have not been able to find any kind of solutions and uh, again i think that comes down to like of lack of foresight that they could not see those issues when the team was you know actually winning and they did not try you know middle order specialists and they tried to shoehorn top order players into middle order uh, like i remember the, during that series against sri lanka glen maxwell 
uh, actually pulled out of the series after the first T20 where he scored some runs, you know, because he took a break from the game for mental health reasons. And then he did not play the rest of that series. He did not play against South Africa. He did not play against uh, Pakistan. And uh, that was the perfect opportunity for Australia to blood, blood some middle order specialists. But instead, they, you know, ended up picking Ben McDermott at number four, who was strictly an open and was ideally not a T20 player anyways. But even if he is, then he should definitely should not be betting anywhere other than the top of the order. Then they tried, you know, uh, I think Matthew Wade in the middle order, which which experiment is somehow still continuing despite him being a proven failure in that position. Uh, and and the guys who like have been doing well in the BBL who have the potential to do well in the middle order. Josh Inglis has been doing well in the middle order in the BBL. He's only been picked now, uh, you know, as a last resort, and he's, he's still you know they're rigidly hanging on to the theory that he's a backup and that they're going to stick to Matthew Wade no no matter what, irrespective of form. Uh, George Felipe again is a guy who's been, you know, doing well in the BBL consistently. Only got his chances this year uh, against West Indies and New Zealand and and Bangladesh again on pitches with, that were not really ideal. Did not get a single T20I at home to bed in on conditions which he's grown up in, uh, and is, was directly thrown to the wolves in some pretty difficult conditions, and then later on discarded, which again is like pretty poor player management. And again, I mean, I could go on and on. There is Tim David as well. But again, I, I would not blame the team management too, too much for that because I think his, his his emergence has only really come in the last six months. But again, he's another player who could have been like off years for a World T20 in the UAE. Uh, and other than that, I think I would I would admit that the pipeline is not quite as strong as it used to be, you know, a few years ago. But ultimately, I don't think the team management has done uh, as well as they could with the kind of resources that we have. I think a lot of that comes down to that period where we actually were enjoying good results in 2019. Uh, but, uh, you know, that meant that the issues that were there in the soft underbelly that was there in the middle order and the lack of batting, that they, the, those issues got camouflaged and, and now they're coming back to bite the team now that the top order is not firing. So, I mean, I think, I think obviously, as I said, I mean, I wouldn't say that there is a Rishabh Pant or a Surya Kumar Yadav in Australian domestic, what we have right now. Okay. All right, so you won't get a better unpacking of the Australian side uh, from uh, other than Sanket. So, Gurkiran, so when you look at Australia, um, and we were talking about, you know, the inclusion of Joe Root because of the pitches will have spin and, you know, there will be skill needed, different kind of skill. So, you think that kind of makes Steve Smith a more important player and, you know, could he help Australia go to the semis? Do you see that uh, as a possibility, and uh, what are some of the strengths of Australia that Sanket uh, is not pointing out, or how do you see Australia as an opposition? So, if 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 Australia do tend to play on flat pitches or or on pitches like today, where they were playing uh, India in the warm-up game, I'm not so sure because today also at the end of the twelfth over mark, he was twenty-three of twenty-five. And he eventually ended up with 57 or 48, if I'm not wrong. Now, I can understand the need to anchor when there have been three wickets which have fallen. But even once, after the 12th over mark, then you have to accelerate. In the last eight overs, he needed to accelerate. 34 of 23 is not enough acceleration, if you ask me. Especially when he's faced half the the remaining overs, right? So, uh, uh, Steve Smith might be... Uh, might be useful on pitches like uh, Sharjah, uh, the ones that are there uh, in the IPL. But I'm not so sure of his utility uh, on pitches like Dubai or in uh, or in uh, Abu Dhabi, where where the pitches might be more true. The one good thing in in disguise might be that if if David Warner continues his poor form, then it could mean that Steve Smith will come in will come into bat in the power play. And he can take advantage of the field restrictions in the power play and score a few quick runs. But he he has to make that mental adjustment of scoring quickly without losing shape. Because once he starts to slog across the line, he loses his shape and it never ends well for him. Uh, and, you know, apart from that, uh, Stark, is, Stark is a good option. Uh, if on his day he can really run through, uh, you know, uh, the top order of a team and then restrict runs at the, at the death, Someone like a Zampa along with Agar and maybe even Swepson, if the pitch is demanded, can probably bring in a choke if, if they bowl well. Uh, Zampa has done well actually, uh, you know, even in the IPL whenever he's played. Uh, whenever he's, he's played. Uh, so, I, I'm not so sure about, uh, about Agar, but 
given how the pitches were in Sharjah, uh, you you might never know. So uh, th th that that's something that might help out. And uh, how how Stoinis does well with the bat uh, coming at five six and finishes of the innings is is again something that 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 Australia would look would look to hope that it works. And then obviously without without Glenn Maxwell. If if Glenn Maxwell doesn't turn up, then I really don't see Australia uh, winning winning three three games out of the five in their uh, in their group stage. Without Glenn Maxwell, this team is without contributions from Glenn Maxwell, both with the ball and the bat, this team might struggle because Pat Cummings is not the same bowler that he is in in T20s and uh, 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 sorry, Pat Cummings is not the same bowler which he is in ODIs and Test. In T20s, he really struggles. There's also a case that Australia might even, you know, might drop him from the 11 because Hazelwood offers much more control with the ball and might have even add some value uh, given he, he played in the second leg of the IPL and uh, Kane Richardson with his slower balls might help as well. So, I think if the pitches demand it, Australia, specifically Justin Langer, need to be flexible enough to drop Pat Cummings and play the other three paces along with two spinners because someone like Pat Cummings who really doesn't have a great Yorker and really doesn't, uh, you know, mix up his pace well can be very easy to line up on on pitches on pitches like these. Nice. I think we covered a lot of ground, but I'll give Sanket the floor one more time for Australia. So what is the ideal 11 Sanket? Uh, and the, what is the best case scenario and how far this team can go? So, you know, put an 11 out there, you think that probably if everything goes well on that day, can go the farthest. Uh, of course, uh, even I'm looking at them with Wade at six and I'm no, I'm no fan of Mitchell Marsh either. So, I, yeah, this batting order does look, you know, depleted or outdated for me, but, you know, the floor is yours. So, what is the best case scenario and who needs to come good and what is your 11? Well, the 11 that I want to pick, I think it's something that will never come to fruition because... Uh, you know, the guy that I think absolutely does not deserve to be in the 11 is Matthew Bate. And they, they hell-bent on backing him for some reason. I, I don't understand why. Uh, again, this again comes down to a lack of foresight from the uh, selectors that when David Warner was injured against India last year, uh, Matthew Bate played in his position and he, he was given the opportunity to open the innings. Now, when you know that David Warner is your first choice opener, and that he's, he's going to come back into the side anyways, then why on earth would you want your wicketkeeper to open the batting? You know, if, whoever the, was the, whoever the wicketkeeper was going to be, uh, they should have been, you know, given the opportunity to play in the middle order and, you know, bed themselves in, in that particular role. But because Matthew Wade scored those runs at the top of the order, now they're pretty, they feel that they are obligated to pick him in a completely different role in which he has never done well. His, his average in the middle order is, is, is 20. And his strike rate is also on the lower side. He struggles against spin bowling. And more so in these conditions, I think it's a disaster waiting to happen. And it's not like he's a great keeper either for him to be you know, picked as a specialist keeper. Josh Inglis is a much better keeper. So the change that I would like to see being made is, I think I would like to see Josh Inglis come in for Matthew Wade. And, you know, I was kind of leaning towards playing five bowlers, I think, and at the start of the week, but I think looking at Marcus Toynis's how he's batted in the couple of former matches, I think he probably merits selection. So uh, we will have to get the fifth bowler's quota out of Mitchell Marsh and Glenn Maxwell. I don't know if Toynis is fit to bowl. He bowled a few, he bowled a couple of overs today, but he's not, again, he's not not a world beater either with the ball. So uh, we have three, three, three part-timers to, you know, share the fifth, fifth bowler's quota. That could be enough, particularly against left-hander heavy sides. Glenn Maxwell, I think, becomes a very good option. Uh, but other than that, I think that's something that the captain will have to manage. Uh, so I, I'd go with Aaron Finch and David Warner at the top. Uh, my number three, I would actually go in with Josh Inglis. Because I think the way David Warner and Aaron Finch both pad these days, both of them take take time in the power play. So I think you need you need an enforcer at three who, who can you know come in and bat very aggressively and who can take on the spinners, and which is what Josh English is capable of doing. You know, at least in you know home conditions. We don't know how he's going to play spin in in the UAE, but you know now that you picked him in the squad, you might as well give him a run because the alternative is someone who's was a proven failure in, in international cricket over nearly 200 international appearances. So, uh, Josh English at three for me, then Steve Smith as the anchor at, at number four. Uh, you know, again, I think, again, I think his role will have to be flexible. 
And if you get a good start, then I think Glenn Maxwell obviously has to come in ahead of him. Uh, then Glenn Maxwell at five. Uh, again, I would, you know, ideally send him in a phase where the spinners are in operation so that he can take take them apart. Uh, and if 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 he does come in ahead of Steve Smith, then Steve Smith will probably have to assume more of a, you know, pace power hitting role in the in the in the death overs, which is which is a role he's, he's performed with mixed success. But I think what Gurkirat said made made a lot of sense that in the recent times he's been trying to slog the ball too hard instead of playing his natural game, which is why he's been losing shape. Uh, if if he just plays a natural game, then I think he can still score runs against fast bowling. His his numbers against uh for in, in against pace bowling and T Twenty cricket in general are decent. But a lot of those runs are come in the, have come in the power play where there are field restrictions and you know he plays generally plays those proper cricketing shots that he does in Test cricket. But whenever he tries to slog across the line and tries to you know bludgeon them, then that is when he loses his shape. So uh, that is something that again he will have to look look into. And even if he's given a you know a low finishing role, he will have to make sure that he sticks to his strengths rather than trying to play like an Andre Russell or a Tyron Pollard. Uh, then at number six, I would have Mitchell Marsh. Uh, uh, again, as a specialist space power hitter, he's 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 one of the better ones around in Australian cricket. And you know, I know that there's there's been talk about him batting at number three, but I think what we've seen so far is that I I, I don't think he's, he's the greatest player of spin. He might have scored runs in the Bangladesh, but Bangladesh those pitches, as I said, they're not they're not pitches on which you can form any conclusion about any T20 side because. You know, 110 and 115 were pass scores on those pitches. So, you know, his, his runner ball knocks were valuable in those conditions. But here, where you probably need to score a little bit quicker against spin, I don't think Mitch Marsh has those gears. So, I would rather have him at number six, where he'll, he'll be coming in exclusively in a finisher's role against pace bowling. And he, and he is someone who can hit genuine pace. And he, he's, he's pretty good at maintaining his shape as well. He, he can, uh, you know, hit, hit, hit hit bowlers in excess of 140 kph down the ground and he's pretty good against hard lengths as well comes from the wacker uh, where, where, where grown up on and it's pretty good against the short balls so uh Mitchell Marsh at six and then Stoin is at seven or you know you could probably interchange them uh you know depending on what and how you feel on that particular day and who's in better form. Now, Stoinis has looked really good in the two warm-up matches so far, so maybe he could come in ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, yeah, I think I think that would be the top seven. And then, you know, my polling attack, I think, now that you've, now that you've gone in with, you know, the only four bowlers, I think you probably have to have at least three seamers among, uh, among them. So, I think, unfortunately, Ashton Agar would have to miss out. Uh, Ashton Agar has been one of Australia's most consistent bowlers in T20 cricket, you know, over the last two or three or four years. And I think he's, he's a polo would quite do well in these conditions, I think. Uh, but the problem ultimately is that his batting has not really progressed the way it was hoped it would. I mean, I don't think he was ever going to be a T20 number seven in the typical sense of the word. Like, he's, he's never going to be an Andre Russell. I mean, there was like, you know, some you know co-comparisons that were made, uh, you know, quite jokingly to uh, Andre Russell. And then it, it, become a, it, it became a meme of sorts and, on Twitter as well, where he was, he was called, where he was being called Dregar and all that sort of stuff. So, I mean, I don't think he was ever going to be an Andre Russell, but even then, I don't think his batting has progressed even from where he himself was a few years ago. And he's definitely not a number seven or even a number eight for that matter, I think, uh, in T20 cricket. I think he's still a decent batsman in other formats of the game, but as far as hitting ability is concerned, he's, I think he's completely useless uh, down the order. So, for that reason, I think he'll have to miss out because you can't go in with only two seamers, especially when you know, none of them bowl particularly well at the death. Uh, so you always need that extra option in case you know one of your seamers has a bad day, then you need the other guy who can co- come in and cover for him at the death. So I think that is absolutely of paramount importance that Australia play three seamers and cannot have Pat Cummins as a second seamer uh, in T20 cricket. As Gurkirat pointed out, he is he's prone to getting smashed uh, and doesn't really have a lot of variations and doesn't bowl Yorkers. So that that can be you know quite a dangerous combination in these conditions. Uh, so I, I would go into three seamers. I would start off with you know Cummins, Stark, and Hazelwood. So neither Cummins nor Hazelwood are death bowlers, but when you have two of them you can probably just mix and match uh, and you know if one even one of them has a good day then maybe they can do the job but playing only one of them would be a big risk uh, because neither of them are you know natural natural death bowlers and even Mitchell Stark is, is not been you know uh, not been great at the death in recent years compared to what he was you know five six years ago so 
I think that those those three seamers and Adam Zampa obviously as, as the as the lone spinner. So that would be my eleven. Uh, obviously, if 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 there is a necessity to play an extra bowler, then Ashton Agar could possibly come in. In that case, I would pat pat come in at number seven ahead of Ashton Agar, and probably even Mitchell Stark at number eight ahead of uh, ahead of Ashton Agar. I think. I think I think there is another thing that I would like to suggest, which again I think is probably a little too radical, not just for this Australian team management, but for I think most team managements around the world is that it would be to use Mitchell Stark as a floating hitter of spin bowling, particularly against you know uh, left arm spinners, uh, because Australia don't have any left handers in the middle order, and that is seemingly the reason they are playing Matthew Wade. Uh, but Matthew Fade is himself not a good player of spin bowling. So just because he's a left-hander doesn't mean you play someone who's not performed in the middle order uh, and who doesn't really have a good record against spin bowling. So if you don't have a specialist left-hander, why not use a pinch hitter uh, who, who who can and just send him out with instructions to attack spinners at any cost? Even if he gets out, you're not losing out much anyways because Mitchell Stark doesn't really offer any value in the back end of the innings against genuine pace. But he can be a useful spin hitter. Even if he hits a couple of sixes and gets out, that's still a good innings in T20 cricket. So I think that is something that could have been tried. I think I remember Australia trying it once in an ODI in, in Bangalore when Andrew McDonald was the coach and he was he was the interim. And Justin Langer had taken a break from that uh, so maybe if he could give his inputs and ask Justin Langer to adopt a similar strategy this time around in these conditions, given the lack of middle order batsmen, left-handed middle order batsmen, then maybe you know it could happen. But right now, I think the indications are that you know I don't think they're going to do anything of that sort. So they're going to stick with a very traditional setup. But I think that is something again that could have been tried uh, purely as a tactic. But other than that, yeah, I really don't see what else you could do with this personnel. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. So I think we are up for time here. Gurkiras has to leave. Uh, I'll edit this part. So thank you guys for doing this. And we'll be back for the remainder five teams uh, preview in a different episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening.